0: Hello and welcome to episode 148 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado,
1: it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I heard what you guys said last week when I was out. You said... What, what do we say? Some intriguing things about the Beach Boys. <laughs> oh. Do you have things about the Beach Boys? Yes. You know what? I don't. I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm a very... Casual Beach Boys fan. and listen to Pet Sounds, you know, a few times. But you I are like, a record I like, person. I like the harmonies. I used to be. Yeah. When I moved, I, I sold a bunch of stuff when I moved out here. I was just like, why do I have these records? They take up a lot of space. They're heavy. B- well, don't you like that warm analog sound? No, I prefer the cold, cold bits and bites of digital music, Stan. Oh, yeah. no, but it's good to see you both. I'm glad uh, you had a tremendously successful episode without me, and I'm here to make this one that
2: much worse. Well, you cool. wrote all the notes this time, so uh, so it's gonna be all on you. Yeah, you know,
1: I was in an airplane, and I was just like, I gotta write some notes. Who was flying the plane? Well, that was my co-pilot. Also, that's the Godfather, our third co-pilot on this episode,
0: Dave Harburger.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of like the navigator. I'm kind of hanging around, checking the charts, but I'm not. I'm not ever steering this plane. You're you're swiping credit cards for Sky Mall purchases. It's duty free. Duty free.
1: You want some duty free guys? Can I tell you something? Yeah. I drank a cup of coffee an hour ago. Oh man. Uh, I can't wait for these, these caffeinated takes my
2: friend. Yeah. It is eight thirteen PM local time. Stan's like, I needed a coffee. <laughs> are you, are you a guy who like, <clears throat> you're like a super old man where you're like, you know what I really want for dinner? I want, I I, I want to have uh I want to have some Indian food and a cup of coffee. Is that kind of where you were at? (laughs) Sort of, sort of.
0: I am the type of person who can take a nap after a cup of coffee and have frequently.
2: Yeah. After a cup of coffee, I just have like a deep sense of existential dread and uh, I kind of feel like my bones are shooting out through my fingertips and I can't sit still. And then, uh, yeah, it's a real, it's a real thing. I usually have to go lay down if I have a real cup of coffee.
0: That's right. This week, Shane has made his triumphant return with stories of his adventures and misadventures
2: in spooky Cleveland, Ohio. We're not spending too long on that, are we? No, I hope not.
0: Yeah, you're right. Instead, let's kick off the show with a breakdown of the results from the weekend's Modern Mox tournament, as well as some details we got out of SCG Con, And we got some challenge results as well. So a lot of data in our on our road to las vegas not a road to las vegas episode but in our hearts and minds it certainly
1: is it, this is this is a grab bag episode my friend this is this is this is some data this is some uh mediocre spoilers and me catching up from last week doing an esper
2: reanimator uh sort of little mini deck dive to talk about on the road to vegas we are gonna burn this format down with these spoilers from crimson Val. let me tell you we're gonna be up all night i'm so excited That's right. That's the dive down. Our first look at
0: Crimson Vow. Who's getting married? That's what I want to know. Before all that, we got a great housekeeping in store for everyone today. So, take it away, Shane. Oh, wow. You always read these.
1: New patrons. Wow, we had a
2: lot this week. Thank you so much to everybody off the top.
1: I love... Yeah, thank you. Six new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. We've got Yushan M., Cody C., and H., Robert B., Dustin S., Chris K., thank you all for becoming a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. We appreciate your newfound citizenship. Welcome to the Discord. Yeah. Also, thanks to Tom W. for going up a tier in your support. Right on. And we also have two new reviews. We have, (laughs) I like this, I like this name, Patreon and Review in the same week.
2: Question mark. uh,
1: Question mark. Yeah. And Rotary Fan. Uh, thank you, Rotary Fan, for considering us tier zero in this crowded market. Uh, this crowded tier list of magic podcasts, we appreciate both your feedback.
2: I also like the review that we got from Patreon and review in the same week question mark. The headline is perfect for the okay magic player. I feel right, they, very they, good they, about that. Yeah, we I feel seen. Yeah, thank you very much.
0: If you out there would like to support our show, you can find our Patreon over at patreon.com slash The Dive Down. We got a little bit of a Patreon
2: announcement, right, Dave? New swag? I mean, we have been giving updates recently about designing the deck boxes. They are our $5 tier reward that we hit a stretch goal for a few months back. We've been working on the design. We are going to be turning in the art this week, and we showed people in the Patreon, the nation, a few designs to pick from today, It's Sunday. If you haven't looked at them, haven't seen the Patreon posts, by the time you hear this, get over there and have a look. Feel free to give us feedback. We'll probably be finalizing art, but um, yeah, go have a look at what the designs are going to be, and uh, hopefully we'll have them, as Stan and I talked about last time, early next year, shipped out and printed and everything. Stan, how can
1: people get their hands on these swag-type items and get into the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord? They would have to navigate to the URL, patreon.com
0: slash Down. The deck boxes, aforementioned. They're at the five dollar tier. But if you can't afford five bucks, you can get in the Discord at a dollar an episode and then you join our Discord. <laughs>
1: three three bucks is kind of the sweet spot. Like you know, you you get the pins, you get the stickers, you get the tokens, all that kind of good stuff. Five dollars, you also get access to the episode like a day or so early, which is pretty nice. I'm going to bring back the show notes. I'm sorry I've been slacking on the show notes. It's just like one more thing I'm not thinking about in the episode prep. But I know people, so I know someone mentioned it this week. They were like, I missed the show notes. I'm like,
2: you know what? I'm sorry. I missed the thing that I think I'm paying you for.
1: Yeah. Sorry I, you're, about you're, that,
2: everybody. I, I missed the thing you're contractually obligated to provide to me. Yeah. We, we can provide all the former ones. We did the homework. We have the paperwork. Our dogs did not eat it. It's all digital, baby. In case
0: you missed it, by the time this episode comes out, we will have a new bonus episode. Oh Oh, yeah, that's right, with none other than mana symbol Zach Ryle on this week's bonus. So if you didn't catch that a few days ago, get at it. And I also ordered a brand new shipment of playmats. We ran out of the previous stock. We got a bunch of new playmats coming in this week, and those will start shipping out to pending patrons soon. So a lot of ways to get some Dive Down swag, show off your love for the show wherever you play magic or just in the comfort of your own home.
2: Yeah. And we might even have more announcements about this coming up soon. Maybe other ways for you to have swag. Dun, Whoa.
1: dun, dun. All right. Also, ManaTraders. I ran a dex for ManaTraders this week. ManaTraders.com. Sign up code the dive down 2021 15% off first two months. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, ManaTraders. The ManaTraders. We love you, ManaTraders. All
0: right. So, Shane, you were
1: on the news desk flying, what, a mile, mile high? Yeah, mile high. That's how thirty thousand feet, that's like my, one mile, right? You're a mile in the air. You're you're typing feverishly about decks. On terrible uh, Southwest Wi-Fi. I like you, Southwest, but I don't like your Wi Fi.
0: You've got Bamzing on your satellite phone. Yeah, thank you, Bamzing. Bamzing, right, so, give me those
1: deets. So what we Bamzing's did this week. like, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> I think Oh, the dive down. I know you. How did you, you get sh- my sh- phone number? Uh, Shane, are you one of the co- are you a coast? Uh, so we had a lot of stuff happen this weekend.
2: I love your show, but
1: I've never listened to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know a lot of people like that. Um, <laughs> so we had... First thing I want to talk about is the Mox. So the Mox is the Magic Online Champions Showcase. It is the Season 2 one of those. I mean, I don't know. It's. I guess it's like sometimes Season 2 is worse. Sometimes Season 2 is better. This is the best because it just happened. So this is basically like the world championships of Magic Online. Like it's it's because it's only eight people qualify for this thing. It's the four showcase qualifier winners. There are two Mox Open winners. And then there are two top players of the Mox leaderboard. I honestly do not know what the Mox leaderboard is, but there you go. That's how these people qualified. Uh, they're grinding, they're winning, they're succeeding on Magic Online. There's 70K in prizing overall for eight people. That is good EV, my friends. Uh the first prize is, Okay, the first, pri- <laughs> first prize is 20K. Pretty good. I wish I was playing in this event, but I'm not good enough. An awesome thing also about this is Randy Bueller put together, and I think uh, uh, consistently puts together like a spreadsheet of information and data about each of these eight participants. And so now we know more about these folks, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about them because they worked really hard, and I think we should talk about how they got there. And then we'll talk about what decks they played and the results of these things. I guess it's also important to mention the mox is a modern and vintage cube draft split format. And I'll tell you what it's six rounds. It is a really weird formatting Mm -hmm. for that much cash. And we'll talk more about the results of that and kind of what that actually tells us about modern, which is honestly not very much. Interesting to see what decks they people chose for this. Yes, That's the most important thing. Just a random question. I think I can
0: anticipate the answer. Do you guys know if this is gonna continue into the future in this like murky landscape without organized play? Well, we still have mocks.
2: I'm pretty sure we will. Oh, we yeah. have to, yeah. right? Because they'll they'll always want to have MTGO showcases. I think so. It's been going on so long. I think it's much lower overhead than running the Pro Tour or something exactly. like that. So I, I don't know why they would now they might call it something like super premier ultimate qualifier stakes two. Uh in the future, and we'll never, we'll, we'll not know, is the same thing, but exactly.
1: So let's talk about these players. The Pioneer Showcase qualifier champion was out of Russia, Alex Ivanov, also known as Be reborn Dave, this guy's forty-one years old. I mm. still can make it. You have a
2: chance. Yeah, you I do. can still
1: make it. They have three thousand seven hundred eighty-seven lifetime modern matches on Magic Online, fifty-seven percent win rate. Whew. Okay. The, modern showca- the Modern Showcase Qualifier Champion, uh, Derek Davis out of the U.S., also known as MTG Derek, uh, Dirk714 on Magic Online, 59% win rate over about 2,000 Modern Matches. Legacy Showcase Qualifier Champion, uh, Phil Helmuth. you may have heard his name once or twice, sure, looking man. at, <laughs> listen to our podcast, Sam Rolfe, 1,500 Modern Matches, 59% win rate. Wow. The Vintage Showcase Qualifier Champion out of Switzerland, Nick Boni. Also known as Sheer Khan, only two hundred thirteen modern matches reported. Uh, a mere two hundred thirteen with a sixty percent win rate. In fact, Nick had the best overall win percentage across all formats: sixty-six percent win rate. If only I was winning sixty-six percent of my matches. We have the Mox Open number one champion Logan Nettles out of the U.S., also known as Jabberwocky. This dude plays a lot of magic.
2: Wow! I'm looking at these numbers right now. I cannot believe this. No,
1: like okay. On his Twitter, head like his headline image, he has like a graphic that I th- I think they posted from like some kind of arena event, and I, I don't know if this is inclusive of his modern his Magic Online stuff or not. Forty three thousand lifetime matches, sixty six percent standard win rate, sixty five point six percent limited win rate. Uh, Beaulier reports he has thirty six thousand total matches on Magic Online, nine thousand six hundred eighty eight of those in Modern. 64% win, win rate in Modern, the best in the field. Wow. Logan Nettles.
2: Seems okay. Yeah. You know, Jabberwocky is always interesting because I had somewhat less appearances in paper back in the day. I feel like not always on the Pro Tour, not always showing up in Grand Prix, but always, always, always there and always good on Magic Online for sure. Yeah. Mox Open number two champion was out of
1: Brazil, Marcela Almeida, also known as Mazinda Linda. Mazinha Linda, excuse me. She doesn't seem to play much Modern. Uh, She has 271 matches on Magic Online, sub-50% win rate, which happens when you are probably focused more on things like Limited. I think she's a Limited grinder. Out of the top of the leaderboard, number one, U.S. Nathan Stoyer, 1,100 matches, 56% win rate in Modern. Jack Potter, also known as House of Mana MTG, 4,000 matches in Modern, 57% win rate. In fact, sixty-five percent of their lifetime matches on Magic Online have been in Modern, so they're clearly the specialist in that format. Okay, I just wanted to give those people a little bit of focus, a little bit of props there. But of course, this is a very small field and a split format, so the results aren't going to give us that much to work with. But like Dave said earlier, I do want to focus on the decks these people brought because they were playing for a lot of cheddar, so they really probably they probably put a lot of thought. Into their deck selection. Uh, Mazina Lin- Linda was on a pretty stock teamer Footfalls. Shere Khan was on an Orozov Hammer deck featuring Loris. It had three main deck Dark Confidant. That's been increasing in popularity as like this flex spot option. I-, I still don't think it's settled upon, but I have been seeing Bob more often than I have in the past. And uh, Shere Khan wanted to go with three. He also had three main deck Thoughtseys. And so that kind of reduced the artifact total down to four Springleaf Drum, four Hammer, one Shadow Spear. Not playing with any kind of graveyard hate, not doing any kind of cranial planing stuff, just saying, hey, I want some some hand disruption. I want to be able to dis- disrupt combo decks, maybe control decks, things like that. I
0: love this Bob Hammer package. I've I played against it a couple times, and Bob always feels really scary in that deck just because enough of their cards cost zero mana or one. And it's just this really powerful card advantage engine. It's maybe it's not as good as the um, Esper Sentinels because I think like Esper Sentinels is another great card advantage engine. But I think Bob is probably the most interesting card I've seen in the flex spot that used to be Ingenious Smith and whatever else.
2: Yeah. Why do you think it took so long to get to Dark Confidant in these decks? Well, it costs two,
1: which is an issue. I think you have a lot of stuff that does cost two. So you can't kind of put you can't put like a giver of runes on one and then play something you want to protect on two as as easily as when you're playing bob i think bob is kind of like also a response to the control decks increasing in popularity because you want to sort of want to recover from that you want to make give them a target they kind of have to remove things like that so i think it's just if this sits around i'm going to recoup a lot of lost cards that you cost me uh, in that matchup especially mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right, next up, Dirk seven one four. Pretty stock looking five color elementals featuring Kahira, be reborn on a stock living end Jabberwocky. Again, remember, remember how he matches this person has played four color Yorian ephemerate elementals stuff featuring Yorian. This is a pretty Logan Nettles deck, right? Like he is a value deck player. Like isn't he more of a he's more of a mid range classic mid range player,
2: right? Yeah, I mean Logan had played Jund for a long, long, long time. And then switched later on to, uh, off of other things to that. I will say it's interesting that this is, this is what we would call, you know, this is the canister deck kind of, this has time warp, this has expressive iteration. It's the four color deck that has more spells than a bunch of, uh, elementals, you know, and it's got ice Fang coadal, it's got eternal witness, so you can do loops and all that kind of stuff. So definitely more of the controlling version of that.
1: Yeah. Brother may have some loops, House of Mana MTG on Amulet Titan. Uh, I understand that Jack Potter co-hosts a podcast all about Amulet Titan, so that comes as no surprise. They are running 3 card the Great Creator main. Uh, Phil Hellmuth is on a stock Jun Saga featuring Luris, and Nathan Stoyer is also on Jun Saga featuring Luris. So the way, way this went down is they played three rounds of each format, and the two people who went 3-0 in each, each format played in the finals. Kind of a weird way to do it, and the finals were modern. So, Marcella Almeida, also known as Mazina Linda, she went 3-0 in the draft pod. And then Nico Boni, also known as Shere Khan, uh, with a mere 213 modern matches on Magic Online, or about two weeks of aspiring Spike streaming, went, <laughs> went 3-0 with his Orzov hammer deck, and he ended up beating Marcella in the best of three finals. So, there you go. Uh, This a hugely valuable tournament with a super abbreviated amount of rounds, but it's a lot of money and some high profile modern. So I just wanted to focus on it and talk about it. And I thought it was, it's, it's worth paying attention to because mocks only happens, I think just a few times a year. So we got to
2: talk about it. Yep. Yeah. I think this is, this is cool. I mean, the, the journey was getting here, right? Like how people got, got qualified. That was the hard part for all of them, but it's, it's awesome to see people play some high, high stakes and have modern be a relevant format for it. And hey, Orzhov Hammer. Here it is. Orzhov
1: Hammer, a good, known good deck. Yep. Okay, next up, though, we had the SEG Invitational, which happened at SCG Con. Another long-awaited, but also, unfortunately for us, split-format tournament. Return to Paper.
2: Is this the first big paper tournament besides Hunter?
1: Yeah, besides the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, the first big paper event. And it was... 16 rounds of competition, 8 rounds of standard, 8 rounds of modern. And so yet we yet again, we can't really look at the results and know exactly how the modern decks performed. I also was really trying to find a metagame breakdown, but I haven't found anything about that. So I'm sorry. That would have been really cool to see, I think, because we would have seen what all these invitational grinders and players decided to bring and to the tournament. But we did get a list of the players and the decks that went 7-1 or better in modern, and they are Maxwell Paustian on Azorius control. Shaheen Serrani on Azorius Control. Is no. that someone is that someone who, who plays? Come I thought on. he was an aggro player. Uh, next to Corey Baumeister, 7-0-1. Oh, I believe he ID'd last round. Grixis Death Shadow, uh the dress down version with Luris. Brad Nelson. Is he, is he on Jund featuring? Weird. He's on Jund's so this doesn't seem like a Brad Nelson deck. And then Kellen Pastor, seven and one on four color omnath. Four of these five players made the top eight. So we'll talk about these decks a little bit more in the second, in a, in a second, excuse me. And so we got those top eight decks. They are, some of these I just mentioned, Kellen Pastor on four color,
2: Ephemerate, Yorian stuff, pretty stock. Pretty much the same as the list that Logan was running, but no, uh, we're not running any Ice Hand waddle here. So apparently didn't need it. But we're running... Actually, here's some stuff that's interesting about this deck, if you don't mind me pausing yeah, well, for no, a second. If,
1: no, if you if you
2: saw something, go ahead, my friend. So here's what I say. Two main deck Dovin's Veto and four, yeah. four main deck Spreading Seas. Quite often, these decks don't have Dovin's Veto main and only have a couple of Spreading Seas. Even the blue-white control decks generally only have a couple of Spreading Seas uh, at the expense of Ice Fan Coat, which makes me feel like they probably don't really care all that much about the creature removal aspects of ice fang here and wanted to have some more mana disruption and um stack interaction which is pretty cool other than that three lightning bolt two path to exile one time warp two abundant harvest it's kind of the rest of the deck kind of reads pretty normal i mean the nice thing about spreading seas of course is that you can blink it with yorian you can put it on a different land if you need to for for some reason but also you can the big thing is you can draw another card with it of course so it's
0: also really good with the fairy time raveler Oh, yeah. If yep. if you play Seas on two, Teferi on three, it's a really good minus target, especially against an opponent that may not have the most greedy mana base. So you might not do that against someone like Tron, but against anyone else, if they already have whatever color you're, you you were shutting down with the Spreading Seas, being able to draw more or less two extra cards off of it because of Teferi is really powerful.
2: Yeah. Of course, you can do the same thing with Abundant Growth too, if you feel like that's what you want to do. So having eight targets for that's pretty cool. Speaking of Teferi we do have
1: Shaheen Sirani on Azorius control featuring Kahira. you know he shows up Eidos with azorius control makes a top 8 some things never change about the scg
2: tour true as usual you know shaheen even way 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 back would show up when blue white was not good and still managed to to top 8 now when blue white is very good it makes a ton of sense that he would be here doing the same thing this deck i would say is pretty pretty stock
1: yeah, it looks pretty stuck. It's you know pretty controlling. Uh four solitudes your only creatures. He has he does have a lot of castles, I noticed. I don't know if that's typically the number. Like he's it's got pretty, a
2: couple. Pretty normal these days to run at least one each of the castles, and he has two castle vantures, so he has two of the blue ones. And he has a colonnade and the big blue beater as well. That's generally that's pretty normal right now, too. One one colonnade, one storm giant. Got it. Uh Corey Baumeister
1: on the dress down shadow featuring Luris. He's still trusting in the power and the combo potential of the you know, Death Shadow and dress down. Who cares about solitude when you're Corey B? You're pretty good at magic. Uh, Dominic Palercio on Orzov Hammer featuring Luris. He uses the Giver of Runes as his flex spot choice. All the black cards are in the sideboard. It Has a main deck cranial plating as well. Mm-hmm. Pete Ingram on Azorius Control featuring Kira it looks very similar, if not the same, to Shaheen's list. Cameron Sullivan on Jeskai, Murktide, Basically, is not Murktide, but Prismatic ending main and Wear Tear in the side is good enough to splash for. And he ran four Consider main, along with two Serum Visions. This is a shift I've noticed over and over again, looking at decks from this weekend, and we'll talk more about that uh, as we move on into the challenges. Brad Nelson, again, as I said, Jun Saga featuring Luris. Singleton, Dark Confidant in the main. Bob is back buy four copies from me. I have Bob's for sale. Uh, (laughs) You also have a shirt that says Bob's for sale. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, Logan Underwood. That's a joke, Dave. Logan Underwood. on Grixis (laughs)
2: Luris pile. No,
1: no dress down main.
2: Yeah. This is, this is just to be clear. This is a, this is not a shadow deck. No, this is just Grixis Luris. Grixis Luris. Good card. Snapcaster Mage for you. Yeah. Seven out of eight of these decks at companions,
1: by the way, Uh, that's a take. So, Corey B ends up winning the whole thing on Grixis, Death Shadow, Dress Down featuring Luris. Yes, in a world of solitude, Corey Baumeister comes out ahead with a Death Shadow deck. I mean, if you, fl- so correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you flash in a Dress Down in response to a Solitude, nothing's happening, right? That's right. No abilities. Sounds good to me. Good way to protect against Solitude, better than a Blossoming Defense uh saturday's modern challenge i guess before we go on to the challenge you guys have any thoughts about the, the the small amount of data we have from the invitational here
2: decks there are some decks here that's what happened number one these people love ragavan that's the, that's one thing i would say half of these decks are ragavan slash uh dragon's rage channeler decks which it's is an extremely good card. I, I feel like it's something we haven't seen quite so much in in a while um, and then, yeah, other than that, people love companions. They're crazy for companions.
1: Also, just like, look at this murderer's row of, like, nothing, what changed here? We we were off of Paper Magic for, like, a, over a year and a half, Yeah. and then SCG, SCG comes back and we've got, like, Pete Ingram, Brad Nelson, Shaheen Sarani, Corey Baumeister just being like, what's up? <laughs> we're we're going to top, it. Kellen Pastor. I know that name. I probably should know some of these other people's names, but congratulations to all y'all for
2: making the top eight and for Corey B winning it okay now people had to qualify for this tournament yeah this is this this is like a lot of like queued up qualify qualifications basically like this is something that 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 helps with the name recognition part of this i think some too you know shane just because they had to qualify so they have to be good players who get into this tournament as well but still yeah this this top eight's wild i mean you can qualify this
1: is this is of course, no no one here is a slouch by any means going to this thing, but like you could qualify uh, almost like a PPTQ, like at LGSs, mm-hmm. like the SEG uh, qualifiers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of these things queued up, uh, and I hope everyone who went had fun. Absolutely. Stan, any thoughts about any of these decks? Yeah. What do you think, Stan? Some decks? Well, I
0: guess of Shadow. What an interesting deck to win the tournament. Obviously, Corey is an amazing player. A lot of a very practiced player, too. This is the co-host of Verse Live, but... I wonder if dress down shadows is a little bit underplayed, or maybe it's just so tough to pilot that people don't really practice with it. Because this deck had a little bit of a heyday, invented more or less by aspiring Spike. He played yep. it at the Hunter Memorial, and then I feel like it totally dropped off. And here it is again. And I don't know—is this the power of the deck itself? Is it maybe just Ragavan in the hands—a Ragavan deck in the hands of a good player? Or- this is actually a good meta call. Dress down against a field full of solitude.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Dress down is just a really good card. We've talked about it, you know, with Spike, us 3, just the flexibility and things that this card does. I remember when we talked about it when we had the the guys from Babel on, and it's just this card that does so many things and the more you know about how to use it, I think you can get a lot of value out of it. And Corey B is the kind of player who can get max value, right? Like you said, Stan. I also wonder, with this deck in particular,
0: whether, you know, one of the things David and I were talking about last week was not only the power and prevalence of these elementals, especially Solitude, but also how important Teferi is right now, and whether the combination of 4 Thoughts 3 Inquisition, and 4 Drown in the Lock is enough, as well as Unholy Heat, is enough to actually deal with Teferi to either pluck it out of a control player's hands or really quickly answer it once it gets down.
2: I would say too. So I've played this deck a little bit. I think this deck is pretty bad against cascade, which is sort of a surprise because we're not seeing a lot of cascade in this particular top eight. Yeah, you're right. And so maybe, maybe some of what's going on here is maybe they, maybe he had a read that there wasn't going to be a lot of living end or a lot of urinos for some reason. And Managed to navigate through that, because I, I don't think that only having Drown or Inquisition or Thoughtseize as the cards that can help you um, disrupt that game plan is really that great. You know, there's nothing in the sideboard that helps with it. There's no Void Mirrors, there's no Chalice, there's none of that kind of stuff trying to help you with the zero-casting cost spells. You're just kind of... There's three EEs, though. Yeah, that's true. EE e- e is good. I do think it's less good, because EE e- e is not good against Living End, right? Sure, sure. So... So, I, you know, maybe... maybe. Soul Guide Lantern is. That's true. Soul
0: Guide Lantern is, like, fine. Soul Guide Lantern is pretty good against it. And I think Drown of the Lock...
2: And, and, Drown, and Drown does help, for sure. Ha-
0: yeah. And I think Hand Disruption is fine. Kroxa, I, too. Like, l- let's not underestimate the power of a Kroxa, especially in a deck with Dragon's Race Channeler that can fill up the yard and just maybe get Kroxa online yeah. on turn four when you have
1: the mana to cast it. Yeah. yeah. I, f- I faced down some Kroxa this week. Let me tell you what. That card's really good still. Still, I think it's pretty
2: good. It's a pretty good card. I'm bullish on Crocs. Yeah. I I guess I might be off on my assessment there, but it it is the one archetype that's sort of missing from this top eight that I didn't hear much about on Twitter or anything. So we'll see. I mean, one of my favorite things about playing this core over the summer was... Kroxa and being able to just take somebody's hand apart. Definitely. But you know, sometimes you miss or you, your timing of your discard is bad and then you just get taken out by a real haymaker spell. And that can be, that can be brutal. I'll, I'll do a league with it for next week
0: and we can, we can revisit this question.
2: I mean, we, we should, we, we probably have time for one more road to Vegas episode realistically, right? Between spoilers and between other stuff. Maybe we'll talk at the end of the show about what's on the list for the final one of those, but you could look at Grixis piles We've looked at Jund, um, which is a lot of these cards as well. This this has blue. Yeah, well, that's true. That's right, Dave. Moist
1: Jund. Okay, can we finally move on to this, these modern challenges, please? Okay, so we've got the Saturday challenge. We've got full deets on that one. Okay, meta breakdown courtesy of Bamzing. Thank you, Bamsing, unofficial unaf- fifth fifth co-host. Um, never been on the pod. Okay, so the meta game breakdown out of the top thirty-two. Six isn't Murktide. Huh? Three. Four color ephemerate featuring Yorian. Couple Boros Burn featuring Luris, one without Luris, so that's three burn decks. Two Yogmoth decks. Mm-hmm. Two Teamer Footfalls. Two Living End, two Jeskai Merktide. That's base, so that's basically eight is it Murktide decks. Um one mono white hammer, also one Orozov hammer featuring Luris. Then we have a bunch of one of Amulet Titan, Mill, Shadow, Jun Saga, Control Affinity, featuring Yangotha. Four-Color Creativity, Through the Breach, Timber Breach Station, and Grixis, Dragon's Raid Challenger, Lurus pile type stuff. Notably missing. Azorius Control. Mm Mm-hmm. Jun Saga, I also feel like is dropping in popularity on Magic Online lately. We did see it perform well in the SEG Open. That's kind of one of the reasons I did want to talk about all these different kinds of tournaments is because I think people say that, people say a couple different things. People say a lot of things as you may have heard. People really say Chicago is a big burn meta. I don't know if you've
2: heard that before.
1: No, that's Den- that's a Denver meta. Oh,
2: it's a Denver uh, meta, yeah.
1: So what's, what's interesting, though, is that people say that the Magic Online meta is ahead of the paper meta by a good amount, and so this could be the case where it's like Jun Saga, I think, did pretty well this weekend at the SG Invitational, but those are also like the kind of players who can Play and want to play a deck like Jun Saga, but I'm curious to see if Jun Saga continues to sort of have this dip, like I feel we've been seeing over the past few weeks, where it's like one Jun Saga, two Jun Saga, instead of like a couple in the top eight, mm-hmm. like I felt we were seeing for a while. All right, heading into that top eight, we've got Doom Switch, not Doom Wake, on Is It Merktide. I uh, earlier mentioned that increase in considers in the main deck of Is It Merktide, and here Doom Switch is running four. So I've been playing some Jeskai Merktide lately. Yeah. B- basically, not
0: in preparation for this episode, but ahead of this episode I was playing Jeskai. Yeah, it's a good deck. It is, and that was on Thoughtscour still, and every time I cast the Thoughtscour I thought to myself, I wish this was actually a consider. Why? Because over so here's Thoughtscour? Why. Yeah. There, and, and, well, none
2: of these have Thoughtscour in them by the way. <gasps> yes. That's that's what's been replaced what it yeah.
0: replaced. Okay. So here's my thinking. This being a control deck at heart, in this type of very, you know, well-defined metagame, and you have really strong answers to specific other decks and strategies, a card like Scour doesn't let you dig for answers as well as Consider does. However, I don't think Consider is significantly worse at filling up the graveyard than Scour, even though it seems like it would be, because you don't even need Thoughtscour to fill up a graveyard to get a big old merc tied out. And there was no shortage of games where I was casting seven sevens or eight eights without ever casting a thought scour. Yeah. But plenty of games where I was casting a thought scour and I didn't feel like I was actually looking for a card. I was just kind of hoping I would draw into it. You just
2: bulk in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. So it's almost like, like it's, it's sort of a a win more in the graveyard feeling thing. Like you're not casting a Gurmag angler on turn two. You're just saying like, I need to, I need to actually get some selection here. with my consider and the value of the selection is actually higher than digging with a thought scour or just like simply like, yeah, you know, like Dave said, just massive cards in my graveyard.
0: I kind of think that's where we're at right now. And, and consider being able to actually bend a card makes it significantly better than opt and maybe hits that sweet spot between thought scour and
1: opt. Sweet. Yeah. I'm glad to see you consider getting some play. We thought it was good enough. Yeah. I mean, this was the card that everyone was like, it's going to break. Is it murktide? Right. And then it basically maybe got tested a little bit and people were like, you know, I, 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 just, I guess I just want thoughts go or I want like three or four serum visions because I want the sorcery. And they're shaving serum Visions down to a two frequently. I also see more more interaction. Like there's three sort of main deck non-counter spell counter spells. There's a couple spell pierce here and a main deck force of negation. One, maybe one or two more main deck counter spells than have has been typical over the met last month or so. So, Doom Switch, I know, I think, has been playing this pretty regularly. That's what I read on the tweets. So, congratulations to them. We got B- Big JC00 on Amulet Titan. Looked pretty stuck to me. Oskia, we definitely see this name pop up pretty often in these challenges on Is It Merktide. This is another build similar to Doom Switches. It has the four consider, it has a force of negation, it has additional spell snare. Mm. main bringing that classic back Stan's eyes widen because he loves himself a spell snare maybe they were expecting a lot of reanimator
2: with like all the two mana spells that's in that deck i don't know i mean you, you can grab some good two mana spells you can grab you can grab an expressive iteration from someone that you're playing Planet, against. running so six. six i think there's a, there, we're maybe in a spot where there's a, a good em, enough two to, to start thinking about it main is pretty wild to me but uh yeah
1: it's just one of those things, like, if, you, if you're if you on the draw and you have it, you just get them, and you're just like, I
2: got them. Yeah, I mean, it, it counters uh, It counters counterspell, too, by the way, sure which is. is nice Nice to keep in mind with that card, but... Good point. All right, fourth place, Juju Bean,
1: 2004 on Demir Mill, featuring Loris. Fifth place, Beastie on Is It Murktide. This one's pretty interesting. Uh, they are apparently testing the value of a Singleton Royal Science, a Singleton Jace Ringe Prodigy. No considers in this one. Oh well this
2: one has thought scour instead of consider. So they're they're still running a single mana graveyard card, but Dave, I'm just pointing out the differences, my friend. But also one
1: thing I found interesting though is that they uh I believe they were saying they wanted a uh brazen borrower in the main. I think Doom Switch and Oskia both had brazen borrowers in theirs. So bring your brazen borrowers, my friends. Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Beastie Okay, I'm holding Beastie
0: also running yeah. Royal
1: Scions and Chase Friends Prodigy. That, that's exactly what I said, my friend.
0: But let we should talk about why.
1: <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're they're loo- they're looting engines. They're, and they're. I think they're there to prevent you from flooding
0: out. Sure. Is really what that, it's there for? Because I love not flooding. Th- this deck is kind of oddly prone to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you you see so many of your cards, you're always going to be able to play, you know, play a uh, a land whenever you want because you have so many cantrips, so much card draw, mm-hmm. and so I, mm-hmm. that makes it that makes sense to me. I mean, the abilities themselves of Royal Scions are like fine. I mean, loot is, is good. They're fine. I, I think that, you know, occasionally you might be into plusing it to give plus two, plus o and first strike and trample to your Ragavan yeah. so that it can attack yeah. into things occasionally, um, which is nice. Or a Merktide mirror. Sure. It makes your Merktide bigger than their Merktide. That makes sense too. Um, sweet card. Yeah. Jace yeah. Finch Prodigy is also just always kind of good, but um, boy. It's just so narrow.
1: Always on the fringes.
2: I, yeah,
0: I, I find that selectional if you're... I'll, I'll be interested to see if it sticks around, just because I think the fact that Dead and Gone and Fire Ice and all these incidental burn spells kill it that are just flying around the format, I think makes Jace a little bit of a liability. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. With, with these Merc decks, you play so many lands off of expressive iteration that you just end up having like three, four extra lands in your hand so often that I, don't, I really feel like this... Royal Science Tech might be onto something.
1: It should be playing Faithful, Faithless Looting, I think. Uh, so, 6th place in this tournament. 1st place in Magic Online Pun Names. Moto Baggins on Grixis Dash, Dress Down Shadow featuring Luris. Here we go. 7th place, Scipios on Four Color ephemerate Yorian. 8th place, Demonic Tutors on Yogmoth. Yes, uh, this man, this guy's been killing it. And challenges lately, bringing yog awareness to the masses yet again. I don't know how they're doing it. It's just it's like just like clockwork
2: with Moth. I mean, we talked about this list a good amount last week, actually. Stan and yep. I did, but I will say, I uh, if we're thinking about a short list of cards to have on our like the Rogues of Vegas, mm-hmm, I, we haven't mm-hmm. ever really spent that much time talking about. We talk about Yogmoth in passing all the time, but we've never talked about it, talked about it, or it's, it's or a hard play deck. tested it for the show. I don't believe. It might Man, be time. I be not how you
0: had it. Like I think that's just your responsibility. I,
1: I own it. I'm just gonna have. I'll just. I'll just record a, a tutoring session with Aaron from the Nation, and then that'll just be the. That'll be my portion of the episode. D- does Aaron sound good? Sounds great.
0: great. Okay, great. All right, book it.
1: All right. Uh, Sunday's challenge. We have the top eight deck list again from Bamzang. Let's just rush through these. Mono White Hammer, uh, Stefan Dima, four one three. They went ten zero. P good. Hmm. Second second place Belcher uh, Z Y X Jerry was on that. Uh third place Jabberwocky. Uh, have I heard that name before? On Four Color Ephemerate featuring Yorian. Yes. Logan Nettles does not so great at the box, comes back on Sunday to play the challenge, takes third place, fourth place Orozov Hammer featuring Luris with a tickle me Tarantino's on that. Fracom ninety four in fifth place on Boros Burn featuring Luris. SWFF on Is It Merktide? Wizard 2002 on Teamer Footfalls and P- Pichio 36 on Amulet Titan. Okay, that was a lot of decks, that was a lot of places, that was a lot of names, a lot of lists, and I
2: still don't know if we learned anything. <laughs> I mean, like for real, like what did like, big picture, you st- if you were, if you're going to boil this into a couple of, let's each give one point that we see here that we, that we feel like big picture we can do. And then we can do where you're angry about stuff after that, Shane, but I'm not even angry. I just, I don't know what we learned. So let's hear it. Stan, what do you think you learned from going through all this? That
0: isn't Merc being on a recent downswing over the last few weeks is starting to update its internal technology to run a little bit more smoothly and actually be competitive again at the top tiers of the meta.
2: You took mine. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is that Merktide was better this week for some reason than it was before. Now, what, why, how? I don't know, but I'll I'll say something else that was kind of missing from here. Two things. We didn't talk a ton, a ton, a ton about Crashing Footfalls or Living End, although it was present in a number of places. It wasn't at the top of the list in a lot of them. Teferi 3 is everywhere, or they feared it was. Yeah. And the other thing is is there's only been some four-color Elementals builds that we that we covered last week, like the deck that I played last week, but there's a lot of Yorian Blink still. So all of those four-color decks seem to be coalescing around the more controlling versions than they are around the creature version at this point to me. All right, so what was a big thing that you learned then, Shane? Well, I, I just sort of felt like... No, before it, you it, say this, I want to know the
1: one takeaway. Okay, one takeaway. Yeah. Um. Okay, so my, my actual takeaway was going to be in my, my my final scree here was that modern is a skill format. <laughs> okay more than a best more than a deck more than mm-hmm. a best deck format. Like yeah you, you, you see players you, you see names more than you see decks. You see people winning with all of the known good decks. And it just is sort of sc- scattershot and, and sic- cyclical, as a metagame should be, uh, in terms of what's showing up and what's winning a little bit more frequently than it was before. And I think that what we really see is that pilot skill matters an awful lot, because we see the same people showing up over and over again. And you know, the SEG Invitational was especially absurd in that so many classic SEG names just showing up with, you know, whatever deck that they thought they would do well with and killing it. I think what I really want people to take away and for me to take away, which is really hard because of the way we run this podcast, is that if you're a casual spike tier player, which if you're listening to us, you probably are, just stick to a deck. Like, don't don't chase. Don't deck chase. Like, if you, you want to understand your... Like, if you have a small amount of time to play every week, you're getting like a couple leagues in, understand your matchups with like a single game, with like a single deck. Like understand your game plan in matchups because I think that's where you're going to get your edge in Modern more than like a few percentage points in your deck selection. You're going to get a lot more value, I think both in terms of your play experience and in terms of your win rate by just learning one or two decks as best you can. That's my takeaway.
2: All right. That's the news and we're sticking to it. Before we actually fly out to Nevada...
0: We probably won't do this today, but I need you guys to tell me what I should play. <laughs> maybe maybe that could be the last thing we do on the last episode before the actual tournament. Because there's just... To Shane's point, there's so many good decks right now. And, and, and you know, all three of us, or two-thirds of us who are playing, I think we have experience and, and the uh, access to several different powerful archetypes. I know I'm going to need some help actually settling on something.
1: And then you're going to get Audible the night before anyway.
0: Well, yeah, but
1: your input well, at least we
2: put your, at least you put on the word your, beforehand That's
0: right your input will still be factored into that audible decision
2: uh, i'll tell you i'll tell you what you both have to play okay i appreciate
0: cool. it i have an idea for shane i just i have a better idea for shane than i do for
1: myself
2: mm-hmm. perfect all
0: right good job team on another excellent breakdown a lot of tournaments a lot of decks a lot of fun talking about them we're going to take a quick break and when we return we are going to dive into a quick chat about shane's experience Playing and experimenting with Esper Reanimator. Shane Quick. Okay. Challenge accepted. We're going to look at uh, what has helped this deck become a little bit more prevalent in the metagame. I've been playing a lot in leagues. It won a challenge last week in the hands of Evert Mohan, uh, an aspiring competitor who I think shows a lot of promise. And then we're going to go right into some Crimson Vow spoilers after that. So stay with us. Lots to come. Don't go
2: anywhere. And we're back. Like we said, in a a mini Road to Vegas, or Road to Consideration for Vegas segment, let's say. uh, Yeah. You know, Esper Reanimator. That's a deck that we've talked about a couple of times that we've been uh, experimenting with here and there over time. And it finally won a big event last week. And Shane, as a resident esperman. More of a reanimator-man. Reanimator. Oh, that's true, because you are more into the uh, black-white. Korzov builds. Yeah. Yeah. So Shane decided to pick it up and and do some play with it this week and has some thoughts, has some questions, and wanted to take us through it as just another list to uh, check off of our list. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't here last week, so you got to hear me talk even more from the breakdown. Let's breeze through this as fast as yeah, I can, Yeah, I mean, this right? wouldn't have fit in with the theme last week anyway, so it's good that we didn't try to jam it in, because last week was all about four-color. No, no, this would have, man. It's four-color. This isn't four-color. Because
1: the reason, the, the reason this deck is back is because it has elementals. Oh, okay. It would have fit in. TikTok. tock Okay. Yeah, right? So, friend of the show, Aspiring Spike, won a challenge with this the other weekend on his latest build of, like, the Esper Ephemerate Reanimator. People seem to think this is the one that's, like, the right one, at least for the moment. Uh, you know, Everett always does cause that big Spike bump when he does well with a deck. Yeah. Or when he and gets on this a podcast, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. I think this one's no exception. Uh, but Spike wins with a lot of things. And he's also a very good player. His decks don't always translate perfectly into long-term successes, which is kind of amazing, honestly. Like, the dude is so good at winning with his decks
2: that he's been successful with his good decks and his average decks. Lends a little bit of credence to what you were saying at the end of the breakout breakdown there that, yeah. that it's a skill good format. Win. Yeah, the good players win.
1: Um, you know, players like Ross Miriam, Tan and Grace over on MTG rants were saying that they would both be playing it at SG SG Open. I know that excuse me, the invitational. I know that Ross was there. He did play it. Uh Lee McLeod over on Grindcast was gonna play it as well. But you know, what makes this version of Esperator Reanimator special? After the release of Faithful Mending in Midnight Hunt, people wanted to see how we're we gonna build a powerful Esper shell with the reanimation package trying to leverage the power of Faithful Mending. So it's like Counterspells, considers, to fairy time ravelers, that's the kind of stuff that was like going into these Orzov shells that existed and getting rid of like hand disruption, maybe the grief of package. Mole drifter started showing up as like this sort of divination variant that could be reanimated. Um, when more cards were needed, but these Esper decks were like not quickly getting solved and not really doing that well early on, but Spike seemed to not give up. And he sort of, I think, realized like, why don't we just get rid of these stupid counter spells, get rid of this error, like consider, and just play these busted elementals Mm -hmm. along with Ephemerate. Let's generate some value here. And so his deck is pretty tight. It's like for grief, for solitude, for Ephemerate. The reanimation package with like the play sets of archons, persist, unmarked grave, faithful mending. Three Teferi Time Raveler because it's Teferi Time Raveler. Because it's pretty much the best card, or and definitely was the yeah. best card last week, but it's also good it's good in this deck for protecting what you're trying to do as well. Uh three mold drifter for that card draw value, especially with Ephemerate, you you know blink that mold drifter, you draw a lot of cards. Three prismatic endings because you play Prismatic Ending. Um, He has two in Burial rights, which is a card that he just seems to like a lot more than most people. I still don't love running one, let alone two. I think one's handy now and then, but I definitely, that's one critique
2: I would make because I didn't like two. I mean, the only thing about this is that, not to point out the obvious, but the thing that's nice about it is that it's a card you can pitch early to Faithful Mending and still get value off of later since you can play it out of your graveyard, so... I think that's probably the main reason.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's not bad by any means. It's just like it's like you only have so many slots, and so it's like, what are those going to be? And so the sideboard is stuff like four Thoughtseize because sometimes you want Thoughtseize against like combo, control, whatever. There's he one of the commitments he made here is four Leyline of the Void. Pretty big decision to hate out opposing graveyard based strategies. He's got ex- extra copies of Teferi, Prismatic Ending, a couple Fatal Push for like some fast interaction when you need it against. Uh, Ragavan, probably. Uh, the Sarah's Emissary, for when that's a lights-out card to reanimate a couple Stony Silence. And it's sort of confusing until you realize that Stony Silence stops a lot of the common graveyard hate in Modern, which requires an artifact to be tapped, or an artifact to like
2: be sacrificed in order to do much of anything. Yeah, I think this is a card that is very moment-dependent, because exactly what you said, but if people start switching over to where they feel like they have to run Leyline... Then, yeah, then exactly. it's not going to be worth it anymore. And Stony Silence isn't here to like help you against Affinity, or really no. to help you all that much against Hammer. Honestly, it's really to help no, you. No, does not. Against yeah. it's, it's, it's it's
1: it's it can be useful. Like you have, I mean, it does stop. It stops everything but the Sigarda's Aid stuff, which can be useful for sure. It, I mean, it even stops Treasures, which can be valuable, right? So this deck's been doing well since he won. It's been fine. Like it got a uh, Sokos 13 took it to 21st place, like the very next day after I think spike won, Fletcher Hartman took a very similar deck to the NRG series trial event here in uh, there in Chicago. Uh, he got 21st place as well. Uh, it's been, of course in the five O dumps, but we don't have like a ton of data, but it looks, it looks like, and people seem to think that it's like a, it's a viable deck. It's using powerful cards. It has a powerful strategy in the reanimation, in the ephemerate. And so it was like, hey, I've been playing a lot of reanimator. I've been playing a lot of reanimator over the past few months. Let's see what this deck's doing. Let's see how I feel about it. Because I haven't been convinced, of course, about like the ephemerate-based decks, with Grief especially. Yeah, I mean, you hated that early on when you were playing these packages. You were like, this is no... It's not what I want to be doing. And so, but now this has other things to ephemerate. It has, you know, Moldrifters. It has Solitude. I haven't played with Solitude before. I didn't really love the Esper decks before with like counter magic and stuff like that. So I was just like, maybe this is the magic build that's going to feel like everything's clicking. And, you know, why is this deck well positioned at all in the first place, right? And I think there's a couple reasons and the format itself is one of them. I sort of feel like it's gone into sort of a battle cruiser type mode lately. Like these big controlling decks, like Azorius Control, the Elementals decks are being challenged by like these bigger value engines, like the four color Yorian Ephemerate style decks. And the hyper aggro strategies are being sort of hindered by all these furies, by the solitudes, by the Omnas that are taking up all the air in the room. And so maybe there's room in the format for this somewhat slower, this somewhat more interactive reanimator deck to thrive a bit more and sort of try to keep up with the value those decks are creation or outvalue decks like Azorius Control because they're so popular right now. Because like the biggest thing this deck can do is generate a ton of value with Ephemerate. Like the, the elementals, including Moldrifter and Grief and Solitude depending on the board state or the game state, you can just be like, well, this one mana white spell is doing so much for me. Whether it's drawing like four to six cards, or it's taking two to three cards out of your opponent's hand, or it's killing a couple, you know, a bunch of creatures on the opposing side of the battlefield. That's a lot to be doing, especially when you have the reanimation package to get the really powerful Archon of Cruelty on the board. Or
2: maybe if you brought in, Sarah's so emissary, that can
1: be lights out against certain strategies as
2: well. Yeah, and I think one big thing that this does well too is that it helps you go into a good Teferi game on turn three if you can line up to get rid of a bunch of creatures with solitude or get rid of a bunch of cards with grief. So you can be able to see what someone's doing and then put Teferi down and kind of put your shields up when they don't have a way to interact with Teferi, and then you can do whatever you want on your turn.
1: For sure. I definitely there's just there's there's a lot of ways this deck can win a game. And you can go over the top of a control deck, exhaust them of resources. You can win on turn three by just simply reanimating uh, an Archon. There's just a lot of ways to get value out of the deck. And I think another reason that people are playing this Esper version as well is because you get access to cheap hand interaction, cheap board interaction, In black, you get stack interaction in blue, you get prismatic ending, of course, one of the best spells in the format. A lot of lights out white sideboard cards you might want. Like, this is why people play Esper in the first place. And then, of course, you have this game plan of reanimation just always there to have access to. And it's just a solid pick in some ways because it's flexible. Like, you can be really fast, like, you can reanimate an Archon on turn three. You can evoke out an elemental and blink it to like clear the board, or you can clear their hand. You can grind things out with like the, the ephemerate based card advantage, and just sort of like maneuver yourself into resolving and persist on turn eleven, and just getting that archon value, and it goes unanswered one turn, and you're gonna win the game. Like I've definitely won games by picking apart like a combo player's hand with grief and ephemerate. I've won games randoming an archon on turn three. I've won games on turn twelve in that, uh, the attrition situation. But I just said all those things about winning games in various ways, but I think it's a risky pick because I've lost plenty of games because I just didn't have a way to stop what my opponent was doing. Like they maybe they countered a few of my meaningful spells. I sort of sat there doing nothing while they just killed me over a few turns. Like a dashed Ragavan can be a nightmare. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Just like they can they can pick away at you and have mana up to counter what you're doing or just generate a different kind of value than you. Like, I, I have this interesting game I, I keep thinking about because it was against uh, Grixis Luris, or no, it was just a Rakdos deck, just a Rakdos deck, and they had a Torpor Orb against me, right? And then they that, that stops a lot of what I'm doing and in terms of my uh, elementals, and then they also had Kroxa. So they get a two mana 6-6 six, six, that, of course, when it comes into play, it doesn't do anything either. But when it attacks, it's attacking my hand in a pretty similar way, actually, to how Archon works, yeah. right? And so it's just like there's there's different ways that decks can get value out of a single card. I mean, in that case, it was two cards because of the, the uh, Torpor Orb. But it's just like, oh yeah, you don't have to go through a bunch of hoops (laughs) to do something powerful Um, and more on that in a little bit later. But there's a lot of ways for the opponent to sort of stop what you're doing and get under you or disrupt you enough to turn the corner faster than you can. And the deck still sort of feels like it always has to me, which is a synergy based deck rather than a deck where these individual pieces are powerful on their own. And that means things like your spell timing is more important, your interactions between the cards in your deck are more important, you're more reliant on understanding those interactions, and then also having access to those interactions by drawing the cards you need. And so that doesn't always really happen, like you don't always get the the synergies you need just in your hand. You mentioned Torpor Orb. Orb. Torpor Orb.
0: Dressdown's also pretty good against this deck, isn't it?
1: It can be, of course, for sure. Like the the, it's it's good against the elemental action, of course. the The problem with Torpor Orb is that it sticks around unless I draw into a prismatic ending. Mm-hmm. Is kind of the main issue, but yeah, dress down. If that's gonna make a little bit of a comeback, that's kind of a pain in the butt too, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the the tough thing about this deck is is like knowing what things are pieces that you only get value off of when you wombo combo them, and knowing what things are valuable just to play or just to use at any time. And I see one note you have here in the notes about evoking Muldrifter as a divination and how often you should do that or not do that. I think you probably do it a fair amount if you don't have anything else to do on turn three. Yeah, but that's that's just me. That's the thing.
1: I mean, that kind of gets to one of the issues I have with the deck, which is like, one, like you said, Dave, is sort of getting max value out of the pieces. And like, is it one of those things where it's just like, hey, do I need to have Ephemerate around to hit my drifter, or am I just casting this because I have somebody to do with three mana? But it's also like these pieces rely, the pieces to get max value out of them relies on having them in your hand. And you have to mull so much to have an initial plan. And it might be one of those things where it's like, maybe I just need to hope that things are going to come together and just sort of play a reactive game. And just assume I'm going to draw into a white card or just not have to worry about, do I have Unmarked Grave Persist going on type thing. And so it just sort of feels like, especially with the the Evoke Elementals, is when you're mulling to that initial game plan, that then having to go down a card to play a Grief before turn four or a Solitude before turn five where you're doing the, the pitch thing and going down that card... Um, If you don't have the ephemerate to sort of get the card value back, or you don't have a persist to maybe persist it back um, instead of getting an archon back out of the graveyard, for example, then it's like, what am I doing here? Like, I'm just sort of shredding my hand after I already mold to five. Right. And that feels really bad. And I just sort of felt like I just, I still miss the cheap hand disruption spells in a deck like this because, like, I just, I still have never. There's there's been times where like yeah grief has won me games, but those games are much fewer than I felt like I have won with my old Orzov build, where I'm running like seven hand disruption spells, and on like turn three I'm clearing the way with an Inquisition or a Thoughtseize that my opponent either has to use their counter magic on on that, or I get it out of their hand and then I cast persist. And I can't do that same thing, especially like on a mole of five or six or something like that, because it takes two cards with my grief to do the same thing, to get one card out of their hand potentially. And then I'm like, well, this is either card inefficient or potentially mana inefficient to to do what I was already doing um, with just the classic thought and Inquisition of Kozilek. And that is something I still have never been able to get over, where it's like, Yes, if I'm playing against like a through the breach deck and I grief Ephemerate them, then i'm gonna win. but if you know any other time it's not doing enough
2: it, I mean force negation's not great against this deck, but if you do get them to force and negation, your Ephemerate early on, then you probably win because then they don't have it for your persist later, and so that's neither here nor yeah. there, I guess but um, you know. I, I do think that this is a deck where I, I kind of wonder about its potential to be a staple or tier one or even long time yeah. tier two. I just kind of feel like it's probably a deck that had a good moment played by a pilot that was really good. And then a couple other people picked it up in the middle of a good moment, too. And you kind of go from there. I don't know. What do you think about this, Stan?
0: Might be the best graveyard deck we have right now, other than Living End. Like, I I think it might be a little more powerful than Dredge.
2: Riktides, does that a graveyard deck, too, or no?
0: I wouldn't say Merc Tide's a graveyard. It just thing. has a payoff. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's yeah, fair.
0: But like, like between this and Living End... I mean, Dredge I think,
2: is not bad right now. We haven't seen a lot in the big events, but we do keep seeing people trying it out in the queues and things like that. I think Dredge probably has a hard time against blue white Control,
0: whereas this and Living End might have a little bit more game against them. Mm-hmm. And And I even, I think in some cases, this is more resilient to the hate that can punish Living End. Whereas you can just hard cast an archon, and people have done that against me, yeah, and I've done that against other people thanks to my ragavans, and that's usually <laughs> just game over too. Whereas living end like just hard casting a single five five
2: doesn't no. really have the same punch. Yeah, stripe weaver rewinder is not good enough. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I do feel like the times when I was getting to be able to hard cast an archon were few and far between because. You know, if, if I'm getting to that game state it's frequently against a slower deck that might be running counter magic, and otherwise, I'm not. I don't have enough in terms of my interaction often to stop what my opponent was doing because it's like unless you get the perfect lineup where it's like I have a solitude and I have an ephemerate, and they're playing a creature deck or something like that. Or in the case we are talking about before, where it's like, they're playing a combo deck, and I have Grief, Ephemerate, or something like that. And that is where I'm getting max value. And so it just always feels like everything has to line up really perfectly. And I think at the same time, I want to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, I think this is a big brain deck. Where it's like, you are playing pieces that interact more than just have individual power levels. And therefore, you have to know how to squeeze every bit of juice out of these cards, these weird juicy cards. Uh, so I think that there is just a lot of learning curve there as well. It plays differently than maybe the Orozov build did in general. May I ask a, uh, just a couple of quick
0: questions to oh, that might please. help us wrap this up?
1: <laughs> what do you think is the
0: <laughs> well? No, I just. It looks like you're getting for the the final sections oh, of your notes. Oh, I am. What do you think is the single best hate piece against a card like this?
1: Like is it Rip? Is it I mean Leyline Leyline and Rip or I mean Leyline's the hardest because it's really hard. You actually have no way to make four different colors of mana in this deck unless you wanted to be like run the spicy Triumph.
0: You can only bounce it to I think.
1: Right. Yeah, and, or you could bounce it with Teferi, yes. Um, and then you'd, but then you'd have to sort of, yeah, it, unless if they could recast it, then they could just bring it back down. So you'd have to be able to bounce it with Teferi and then sque- squeeze your And then grief spelling. it, maybe? Yeah. I mean, there are ways. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Ley line's pretty rough. But I think what's interesting is that I think rather than the individual piece of hate that is best against it, I think it's just the fact that there's just so much. Right? Like, everyone has graveyard hate because it's so easy to run. And it's so easy to run for value. It's so easy to tutor up with Urza Saga if you're playing it. Do you know what I mean? Right. But but how worried
0: are you about a Soul
1: Guide Lantern?
0: Very. I just feel like a single Soul Guide Lantern is just like this one shot where you can can just persist unmarked grave the turn after they cash in their lantern.
1: For them to cash in the lantern required me putting something in the graveyard that was they it. want to get rid of. So that already required a previous spell, right? So either I had to hit something on my faithless Man, Faithful Mending, or I had to hit, cast an already, a previously drawn Unmarked Grave, and then have like another one in reserve. So it's like, it's easy to think about, yeah, if I draw every card I want, over like the first fifteen draws of my deck or something like that, then yeah, I get to the point where I'm gonna win.
0: But you but you like,
1: are drawing a lot. Your Mold drifters draw draw you cards like crazy. But they cut ca- well, that's if I have ephemerate. So if I if I if I evoke a single mold drifter, I draw two cards. I basically cast a divination, which is not a modern power level card. So it's like this is a this is just sort of getting back to like the best case scenario versus like the scenario. Right? And the scenario that happens a lot is me scraping by trying to like trying to recover from either early mulligans or the pieces not lining up perfectly, or just not getting one of my four ephemerates or having a faithful mending, like not really hit what I need or flooding out or getting an, uh, an unmarked grave countered and not having another one. And so that's the kind of stuff that happens a lot is that I'm on the back foot and it's not coming together where I'm getting to where I need because it's a it's a synergy deck. All
2: right. So bottom line. Bottom line. Or do you have something else before we get to the bottom line? No, I think it's about All right. Right. bottom line. We're talking about lists of not about where like we're talking about lists that we have under consideration to take for you guys to play in the main event at Vegas, right? Yeah, I'm off this deck. Right. You you were someone who was on this deck before it was cool. I I think I would rather play my
1: Orzov version. Still wow. I'd still rather put my off version okay. and people think I mean that's probably wrong because I probably will like play a Stoneforge out and she'll get Furied and I'll be like, Oh yeah, people play Fury now or something like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's probably not gonna work like I want it to. W-
0: were you not impressed with Teferi? Guess what? Everything. <laughs> like,
1: it's good against ever like yeah. It's good against everything. I mean, here's how every game against I mean, it's like okay, I resolve it against Blue ray Control. They don't let you resolve it. Like, it's just like, I mean, I could eventually resolve it. It's like, if there's a, maybe there's a long game that needs to be won, right? But it's like... Well, but you shouldn't let them have the cards that let them counter your Teferi. Don't you see? Know,
2: well, then he has well, to yeah, have Grief if, and Ephemerate, if, if, though. If, yeah. if
1: only if only I start with everything I want in my opening hand... Well, I think that's what the deck is trying to do, Shane. No, no. So it's like, okay, well, the the kind of things I'm losing to are, like, interesting value decks, right? Where it's like... I'm losing to a uh, Rakdos or it might've been like a Mardu sort of mid-range Lurus style deck and they find the pieces they need and they put a clock on me or I lose to blue white control because I'm mulling to like five or six and they have just a few pieces of needed interaction or I lose to like, is it Murktide because they have interaction and they're smart enough to play a slow game where they know that they can sort of, uh, keep me on the back foot they can dash out ragavans, they can get a mana advantage and a card advantage those kind of things are all useful for them it's really easy to be inefficient with this deck is the main thing and i think the deck is in itself has potential for high efficiency but also has many games where it feels bad and so i think that like i was getting at earlier is like it's one where i think you need to have some reps I think you have to be able to deal with losing to hate, and also playing through hate. And the real issue, though, is I think that you're just going—you're in an uphill battle, and it's not that fun all the time because the payoff is still something that can be killed with an only heat. And that's what sucks is every time it's just like, yep, it can be killed with an only heat, and that still is a real stinker. And, you know, there's hand disruption, there's counter magic, there's getting burned out. Before you start gaining life with your Archon, you get ran over by hammer because you didn't have solitude in time, or a white card to pitch to your solitude. Everyone's got yard hate. Uh, your alternate your alternate game plan's not that great or that fast. There's just a lot of ways to feel like you're in a losing position. And that's where I am with the deck. And you know, that's just it's that's maybe where I am. But maybe other people are seeing better. Last question for you from me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What do you think is your best matchup? Like just like combo stuff, I think combo stuff in general because they don't interact with you on the stack very well, typically, and you can frequently have access to grief or you sideboard into like the four thoughtsies game plan. So it's just like you know, you you can take care of those decks pretty easily. Uh But I feel like a lot of decks take care of it pretty easily, like non-interactive combo decks, like Hammers going to eat alive. Uh, I think that. I think there's ways to have a game plan against like control where you're not going to perform that poorly. I think that I just had some kind of rough mashups against it and rough draws. And I think it's just, that's something that you have to learn as well. So I think that you can probably do pretty well against controlling strategies for sure. So I don't know. I think you can all, I think it's also just, I think there's a lot of middling matchups, a lot of hard mashups, some good ones. It's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a deck and modern.
2: And you don't like it. I don't love it. Doesn't matter that Shane is off. I don't love
1: it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good to know that this one isn't on your list. It it might still be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep playing. Yeah. You, you bought those beautiful griefs. I had fun. Then I went one four, and then like my last league, it just wasn't that fun to me. But you know, losing never feels good. You know,
2: I
0: think you should play two leagues before you settle.
1: At least two. (laughs)
2: Maybe three. Guys, let's try to get into leagues before we pick a deck that we're going to fly across the country to
1: play, okay? Let's make sure we do that. I I played like a lot of matches, but the last league was one four. Yeah. All right, guys. I I talked so much this episode. Let's please spend some time on the initial batch of Crimson Vow. Spoilers. So let's do another quick little break. We'll go into the dive down part two. So stay with us.
0: So, Crimson Val. It's the highly anticipated sequel to Midnight
2: Hunt. Now it's wedding-themed. It's a vampire wedding. They found their bride, or husband. Is this one where, you you know, the people used to say that a play always ends with a with a funeral or a wedding, like Shakespeare or whatever? What, what if it's both? Well, with Shakespeare, the comedies end in weddings. Sure, some of them end in funerals, right? There's a lot of them. They must have done <laughs> something
0: different. Not the comedies. In the tragedies, everyone dies, yes, but I don't think there was even funerals. I took a Shakespeare class in college. I got an A. Yeah, good job. Thanks. Still proud of that one. So we'll go through these mechanics really quickly, and then we'll talk about some of the cards and how we feel about the set. So far, it is Halloween. We're recording this on Sunday, so we've only had just a few days of spoilers, right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh Um, And there have been relatively few of them so far. So we'll talk about what may have jumped out to us, but we're still only looking at the very tip of the iceberg. And I think the... Perhaps most interesting new mechanic that we're getting here are blood tokens. So these are artifacts, kind of like a clue, because you can pay one, tap a blood token, discard a card, sack it, and then you draw a card.
2: I like it. Yeah, interesting mechanic be curious to see if there's one, I guess because of the mana cost, it gets kind of rough, but I was just wondering if there's going to be a cheap enough spell that helps enable dredge or something like that off of these, like sort of in the way that Insolent yeah. Neonate did at one point in time, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It's a typed piece of cardboard, can be made for free, has useful text like discard a card and draw a card. It all depends on what's making them and what's using them,
2: right? Totally true. Yeah. So
0: I think we need
1: a one, maybe a two mana spell
0: that creates a blood token and does something else.
2: Yeah. I'm looking through the spoiler right now to see if there is one. I didn't see anything, but I was also on an airplane. Okay. This set also has transform. Same as the, mostly the same as the first. Uh, I believe you mean day and night bound, my, my dudes. It does have day and night bound, but of course it also has, this one has some more alternate versions, such as something like wedding announcement, where there's a special token that goes onto it when certain conditions are met. And then it has three or more invitation tokens on it. It, it transforms from an enchantment. Yeah. into a different enchantment. like There's, there's a there's lot of weird th- counters in this one, right? Yeah, there's other things like that that you should keep an eye on that are just kind of novel. Put a counter on something until it transforms. pain activated a cost to have it transform stuff. So it's not all the day-night stuff. In fact, I have not seen a ton of those cards so far, but there are a few. But it's still here.
0: Similar to Transform, Disturb is back. Yeah. So this was on a lot of the Spirit cards in the last set, but that's the creature that has a Disturb cost. And if it's in your graveyard, you can pay that alt cost, and it comes back as the disturbed creature, which is on the back side of the card.
2: Yeah, and actually, most of the cards here, if not all of them, I haven't double-checked yet, almost all of them are not creatures on the back. They're spirits on the front, and on the back, they turn into auras that you can put. Or, like, equipment? Do I see an equipment one? I haven't seen any equipment ones yet. They're all kind of ghosts that die, and then you can use the aura of what they had to put on one of your creatures as a sort of, like, blessing uh, for example, there's one that the disturbed disturb cost is a colorless and a white, and it just gives a creature lifelink as an aura.
0: Still my favorite 90s new metal band. Another new mechanic introduced in this set is training, mm-hmm. which is a little bit reminiscent of the old mentor mechanic from Guilds of Ravnica, though it's, I think, worse.
2: That's interesting. I think it's better, actually. Okay. All right. Go ahead. We'll see. Yeah.
0: But basically with training, your creature is buffed if and when it is attacking with another larger creature. Right. So basically if a creature with training is a 2-2 and it's attacking at the same time as a 3-3, the training creature gets a plus one plus one counter.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: What makes you say that it's better than mentor? Because
2: I think that mentor is actually pretty tough because the creature itself, you had to have a constant flow of things with lower power coming in to put tokens on. Whereas I think with training, if you play a big creature and just keep attacking with the same pair, the smaller creature is going to keep getting bigger over time. So those triggers are going to happen. So not only are you going to get more often, I think you're going to have those triggers happen more often. Um, but some of these also have secondary effects that happen when they train. And so you'll probably get that secondary benefit as well more often. So if you attack with you know a 1-2 with training or something like that, along with a 4-4 with training, you're going to get two triggers instead of one, essentially. And so I, I think that it's going to, I think that it might actually trigger more often. Now, I don't know if I've seen any Constructed playable cards, especially for our formats, quite yet with training. But I, I do think that it, this is a more constructed viable mechanic than Mentor turned out to be. The best Mentor card was um the Goblin, the Goblin rabble Master, rabble master. <laughs> because it made tokens. Yeah, right.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean Mentor. Mentor was never really something that was like in a legitimate constructed deck, maybe outside of Standard.
2: Uh, no, I mean the rabble Master saw play. For sure, even in modern, it was it was seen playing like mono red prison at one point in time, which is like medium legit level, but that, that card did the whole thing. You know, that's it is what it was. But the other cards were never none of them were good enough. Yeah. All right, we have our
1: kicker, maybe modular variants in cleave. Like, you know, Watsi's always going to give us optionality on our cards. Here's the latest variant in cleave. So basically there's a casting cost in the upper right. And you do what the card says. But wait, you say, Shane, that sounds like a normal magic card, but there's more. There's also the cleave cost. If you pay that cleave cost, you then ignore the words in the text, rule text, that are in brackets. So something like dig up goes from green sorcery, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand and shuffle to one black, black, green sorcery, search your library for a card put it
2: in your hand and shuffle so yeah yeah and this is a um this is something that was in the mystery boosters in the test cards in the mystery boosters as You're well right, it was. yep as a as yeah. a thing so they managed to turn it to a whole theme of a of a of part of the set kind of a weird mechanic but i do think it's i do think it's a cool one and i it does have the potential to be powerful because you can manipulate different things yeah but i mean i kind of find it hideous and clumsy but it's potentially cool. You know, what's funny is I actually find this to be, from someone who likes to try to minimize word count, I think it's a little bit better oh, than. Oh no, it's kicker. It's
1: hyper efficient, right? It's
2: hyper efficient, right? Where you would have these kicker spell because they would have they, if they had done this with kicker, they just would have written it out like, if you pay the kicker cost, do this thing instead, and have to rewrite the whole sentence, and like that's just uh, that's yep. a lot extra too. Well,
1: well, what it actually looks like. I mean, I said it was kind of like a modular or maybe like a kicker variant. What it really is, is just a split card variant? Yeah, kind you of. I mean, with, 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 like, with like a with like sort of a, a
2: word puzzle for the designers to solve. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like,
1: what can we put in brackets? Yeah, what
2: can we make that makes sense in a sentence if it's there or if it's not there? Uh, yeah, so it's just like a funny split card. Well, you know, 80% of the mechanics of Magic or Kicker, right? And this one is too. All right. So last one that we have on the list here is exploit zombies have exploit exploit was in dragons of tarkir cool mechanic when it sacrifices a creature you get an extra trigger off of these creatures i always thought that this was uh one that had the potential to be good it saw some standard play especially with um I forget the name of the card sadisi's faithful was a card that was pretty popular that did exploit there's some other things too but um yeah just a cool mechanic something to do with tokens things like that okay mechanics overall anybody have any thoughts about these Nothing that wows me, but I think Cleave is
0: probably the mechanic that is going to have the most potential unless there's a broken blood token card.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just like another cool split style card. I mean there's there's been so many of those, but I think that this is the closest to like literal split cards, and I think those can be cool
2: if they if they just push it a little bit. Alright, so let's get into these cards. Why don't we just do this like round robin like we've done in the past? Let's just p- everybody pick a card like pick cards going around until we um mm. until we run out of time. Okay. I have okay. Can I just leave now then? Yeah, you have no cards you want to talk about at all?
1: Honestly, no. Let's move. Let's go. Let's do it though. Let's see how Shane, I can find it. What any. about
0: Thalia Guardian of Thraben? I feel like this could see some oh, humans
1: play.
2: Potential. There's potential there. We'll talk about it. Definitely. All right. Well Dave, you go first. I'll go first if that's if that's the case. I'm gonna throw a curveball out first. Mm -hmm. One of the cards that I think is the most interesting that is around because I'm a person who likes to cast a lot of spells and have payoffs for it is Manaform Hellkite, which is two two generic red red for a 4-4 flyer with whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX red dragon illusion creature token with flying and haste, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell, exile that token at the beginning of the next end step.
1: I love flying Monastery Mentor.
2: Yeah. with haste where the tokens <laughs> exile at the end right this doesn't have haste with the tokens do. right exactly i did just take another read through this card and it, i realized that it was the amount of mana spent to cast the spell not the mana value of the spell that was cast because i was imagining potentially trying to use this with uh you know something like delve to be able to make it make a bigger version not that there's a bunch of like excellent delve spells flying around but you know what i mean trying to cheat on the mana value to cast a whole bunch of spells to kind of push it forward so a little less interested in it now but it is an interesting way to turn a deck that maybe wants to cast a whole bunch of whole bunch of cantrips metamorphose stuff like that into something where you just turn them into extra burn spells for a minute now this card never survives of course but i do think it's pretty no. cool
1: yeah, that's my favorite spoiler episode trope. It's just like, oh,
2: looking at this now, I actually don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <Yes. but> I'm, <laughs> I'm a sunk cost now. Yeah, um, I already started talking about it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think this is modern power, unfortunately, but I thought the design was really cool. Um, but yeah, it doesn't do anything when it comes into play, and that's the biggest problem with this, unless you cast it off curve, and then you get to do some stuff. Yeah, I just don't. I just
1: don't think so. Um, I just. It's just one of those things, like you said, you have to untap with it. You have to have spells in hand to cast into it. It's already a four drop. Like it's the same things I say about all these cards. Like this, just like what are you going to still have in hand in a red deck? Uh, you probably have better options in a controlling red deck. Uh, I just, I just don't know. It's a cool design. I totally agree. Like it might, maybe it's still see a standard or a pioneer or historic, maybe, but definitely not modern. Yeah,
0: I got one. Stanislav. Path of Peril. One black, black sorcery, cleave, four white, black, destroy all creatures with mana value two or less. If you pay the cleave cost, it's just destroy all creatures. This is the one that I thought could see some modern play because three mana board wipe to destroy all creatures with mana value two, I think could be relevant in a lot of modern matchups. This against something like hammer or john saga right now or maybe even humans i think could see a little bit of potential since the you know most of the creatures
1: in humans are one and two drops i mean but humans is not very good but it can be <laughs> yes i mean my, my issue with this dan is decks that have creatures with mana value two or less that you're going to have enough of them that you're going to want to have this in your sideboard for are going to have lurus and I think Lurius just invalidates
2: this card. Mm, Lurius takes time still. Where if you if you're doing some stuff to apply pressure, if you're taking advantage of the two sam two mana value things somehow by having creatures that are bigger or I don't know, like it'll take a little bit of time to rebuild the board.
1: Oh, this is this is one black black. This is one black black.
2: Like I just I just don't know how this fits into a game plan. Yeah, I mostly think that this card is not better than Dam is the problem that it has in in modern anyway i think probably and that's not really seeing much play yeah it's only seeing a little bit of play itself um maybe in a different format of course for these wraths uh maybe it's you know this is a card that could be like really good against um even though it runs lurus, like if blue white auras was a thing in historic still like this card could yeah. be pretty good against that it can be pretty good against other load of the ground decks in historic but um and potentially also i guess in pioneer but pioneers kind of different you know
1: yeah I just don't know what deck wants this in modern because like, I think you have other better ways to fight against hammer. Like, I think you have other pieces. You're going to have spot removal. You're going to have artifact removal. Uh, I just, but, I don't know. I don't this think this fits is, into a sideboard. I don't think this is the
0: only removal spell you're
1: running that deck.
0: Like I think because the cleave cost is Orzhov, you can run it with damn. And well, I'd rather, no one's, ca- I,
1: no one's I, casting a six mana wrath Dan. Right. I'd rather
0: overload damn than this, but
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think my issue with this is, like, I don't think it's the casting cost for the effect in in Modern. Like, I just don't, I just don't really see it, but I, I'm fine being wrong, as I always say. I just don't know if this is, like, the tech piece that is going to make Hammer drop in in pop popularity and, and power,
2: personally. I can add a few more P-words there. Time will tell. Shane, it's your, it's your turn to pick a card that we can tell you that is never going to make it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, this is a cool card.
1: Uh, cemetery Protector, I don't know what it's going to do I don't know, it's, it's too expensive I think for the effect And it has the Hellkite problem Of having to untap with it to get value And even worse than Hellkite <laughs> There's some conditional stuff Cemetery, let's say that three times fast Cemetery Protector, two white white for a human soldier Creature with flash, Three, four. One of the ETBs you exile a card from a graveyard whenever you play a land or cast a spell if it shares a card type with the exiled card. Create a 1-1 white human creature token. So, you have to cast a 4 mana, 3-4. You have to untap with it. Or you, you have to have a, have a card to exile from a graveyard that then lines up with cards you will have in hand or draw off the top of your deck. To then make a one-one
2: white human creature token. Yeah, but you don't have to do that though. I mean, I think that the main thing that this card is supposed to do is is give you a threat that lets you flash in and exile a card out of the out of your opponent's graveyard. And you know what else does that? Oh, endurance. endurance. Yeah, <laughs> that that is the thing about this is that <laughs> endurance is pretty 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 good. I mean, this is
1: definitely like a historic potential power level, if that. But like even in historic, like it's just that's hyper efficient of a format too. So I just don't know what this does anywhere,
2: um, but I do think that you're playing it for the for the enters the battlefield more than the graveyard sure. tokens, really. So yeah. if if you need this, this as a this sideboard a, piece, or if you need this in a in a meta game where there's a lot of graveyard stuff, like I could see this being a thing. It's expensive, but
1: I just I mean, man, I just don't think it does enough. But I mean, I I think it, this is a mythic in this format, by the way. This is the mythics they're giving us. So this that might tell you something about. The potential power level of the format, and I say that, and then the episode's going to be released, and there's going to be like, did you guys see all these you know cards that got released on Monday and Tuesday? And I'm going to look really dumb. Well, yeah, I mean, there's fifty that's typical.
2: There's going to be fifty Cemetery <laughs> Protector decks, so the, the shame looking dumb. You mean yeah? I mean, that's just how I roll. All right, I got a card to throw out to y'all. Hit me. It costs one generic red red. Mm. Anger of the Gods. Chandra, dressed to kill. Yeah. Plus, it's a three loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, add a red. Chandra dress to Kill deals one damage to up to one target player or Planeswalker. Plus one, exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. And minus seven, exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you you cast a red spell. This emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell.
1: Best thing about this card is the extended art
2: variant. It's glorious perfection. It is nice. She indeed looks dressed to kill. Now, here's what I think about this card. I saw a couple of different ways that people were talking about this that I thought were interesting. One is um, our friend, Stan's friend, uh, M. Hayashi, has been tweeting about this card a bit, talking about using this in Obosh Red in Modern instead of Hammer Bogerdon as that three drop cut hammer butter, <laughs> yeah, it's the best card <laughs> in the deck <laughs> he's talking about it and i think that that this seems like a pretty viable replacement for something like that honestly um because you have so many one drops in the way that those decks are played right now that you're quite likely going to be able to plus one it and cast another spell on turn four you could drop a dragon's Rage channeler you could drop a ragavan maybe your second ragavan that died Lightning Bolt somebody, something like that. I think that the mana efficiency of Modern is so good that getting the damage plus the mana at a lower CMC in a deck like those Obash red, mono-red decks could actually be pretty good. Um, the second thing is getting to draw cards on subsequent turns is going to be good in that deck. It helps that deck out a lot. Uh, you're never going to get to the ultimate, but that's, that's fine. Um, I just thought... It, It was interesting and in some ways this is like a you know, I don't want to do that false equivalency thing, but like it's sort of a two mana planeswalker, right? Sort of. I think you're more likely to be able to use this than other times. I mean, I am looking at this and
1: I'm like, how far off Renin Six is this? Well you know, in a lot of ways. Like we know we know the power of a ping. With a Renan six, it, I mean doesn't target creatures, creatures. Oh well, never mind then. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's I mean it's a it's a three mana worse non Modern Horizons planeswalker. that still does some cool stuff. Like especially the Exile atop card may cast it. That's I think superior than just keeping getting a land back frequently. But yeah. you know,
0: I think the card that I would compare this to is Chandra Torture Defiance. Yeah, and. What I'm wondering is whether or not this is better than that in like chonky red decks in, you know, some of the newer formats, historic pioneer, or if it can replace Chandra in Ponza. Because I do like this. This is a potential turn two spell that Mm -hmm. then generates you mana throughout the game and can potentially generate extra cards since, you know, at least in Ponza, once you get to a certain point, you don't care about your green spells anymore.
2: Yeah yeah that that's makes why sense. why that second
0: plus one is 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 so worthwhile like Arbor elf can suck it
2: yeah <laughs> I mean shager torture defiance is so good you know that but this is just it's a mana faster slower in, or slower and than this card is, and so that makes a huge difference I don't know I and think there's a clock. potential this card like th- th- this yeah. is
0: this both generates mana and gives you a clock and can be card advantage yeah and I think all those things combined uh, makes this an interesting pick
1: yeah so I think there's some possibilities here. Yeah, I don't even know how I missed that one. Good find, Dave. What do we think about Dig Up? I mean, it's probably not good enough, right? Like, that's that's the one with the green basic land, one black, black, green for just a
2: tutor. No, no it's too expensive. Not. I mean, I like that it's a single mana spell that has a fallback, but I don't think that that makes it good enough to, to make uh, what's it called? Diabolic tutor playable, you know, which is what the cleave cost is. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you know, for me, I think the question is, Do we see any other cards that are even worth talking about for modern? Or can we just admit, like, for the most part, from what we've seen so far, this probably isn't going to impact that format, and we're really just going to be talking about Historic Pioneer and other, you know, wishful thinking.
1: Yeah, just be cool cards, Inc. Yeah, I think we can admit that.
0: Cool. These cards can be cool still. I'll I'll throw out Geist Light Snare. Yes! Conditional Counterspell. Potentially a one mana mana
2: leak. I mean I love mana beak. I love pirate
0: beak. Guys snare, two and a blue for an instant. This spell costs one color, one generic less if you control a spirit. It also costs one generic less if you control an enchantment counter target spell unless its controller pays three. So we do have some powerful spirits in lots of different formats. I wonder if there's any enchantment worth running in a deck with this. You know, like, the way we have Beaumat Courier as this, like, occasional incidental artifact, or Mishra's Bobble as this incidental artifact, what are, quote, incidental enchantments that we might want to add? Is it just Theros creatures? Or is it maybe omens from the Theros set? Or do we just admit that this is probably going to be, at best, a two-mana, mana leak variant in formats that don't have mana leak?
2: I mean, I think if there are some... If there's a one mana cost disturb card like a spirit from here that on the backside gives vigilance for one white which seems like something that might be on rate for what they do sometimes i could see that going into kind of like your mono your blue white kind of spiritsy deck in pioneer or in uh historic depending on where you're at and then this can become a one mana mana league because it's that it's got the enchantment and on the other side i also think you could play this what's that card sentinelize the escape card That lets you, you know, that one's been pretty good in a lot of different formats for single white. And then it has the escape for a single white as well. So I think that there's some cards like that that might be good enough to make this make sense. You know, in your lofty denial plus this deck, if you're not playing pirates, kind of.
0: Perhaps worth noting, they are finishing the cycle of slow lands, the slow duels. So for instance, you know, we have the enemy colored when it enters the battlefield, unless you control it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two other lands.
2: Yeah. We'll see about these. You know, you know I don't think that there's been enough play yet. To, I mean, obviously they haven't made any impact in modern, but we'll see if they make an impact anywhere else still, but I'm glad that they finished the whole cycle right now.
0: I, I think I've seen, like, I know I've seen them in historic cause I play arena still a little bit. And I'm pretty sure I've seen them pop up in certain pioneer decks that don't have the uh, allied color or enemy colored fast lands.
1: Yep. So speaking of uh, playing Arena, by the way, I got a new phone, and Arena loads like in half less than half the time, and it really has made me want to play Arena again. Wow! Just because just like that. I can. Just I mean, I mean, I'm not like grinding it or anything. But it's just like, oh yeah, I can play Arena. That's fine. Perfect. Perfect. Speaking of Arena and Arena formats, bed, <laughs> bed sheet elemental. That's kind of the. It's a translated name from uh, Scryfall. It's a white, white 2-2 two, two Spirit Cleric. Whenever you gain life, put a 1-1 one, one counter on Bedsheet Elemental. As long as it has four or more 1-1 one, one counters on it, it has Flying and Vigilance. As long as it has ten or more 1-1 one, one counters, you've already won the game, but it has Indestructible. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this goes into all... Like, people
2: flipping love life gain decks. And they love a Johnny's Pride Mate, and this is just yeah. better than a Johnny's Pride Mate. Like full stop. Is this just? A, is this basically strictly better? It's cost. Is the
1: Giants' prime white, white white? No, Chinese Or is it one in a it's white. It's gen-
2: generic in a white, so it's not strictly yeah. better. But yeah, yeah, it is is generally better. Pretty good. Yeah, I think this card is definitely going to see play somewhere. It also goes directly into the Angels deck i think is like a, another payoff as well but well you know you know what's good with this too dave is this is going to be good in like
1: those what is the white creature that puts counters on things at the beginning of the com- attack step type thing like so that'll go well with that in terms of more quickly getting flying and vigilance on the thing so luminarch just aspirant also just yeah luminarch luminarch aspirant yeah so there's just a lot of ways to like power this thing up and have it be a flying Vigilance 6-6 or something like that. And that's going to be annoying.
2: Totally. All right. I got a card that that I don't think is good enough for modern, but I think it's interesting to talk about for a minute. And that is Dread Fugue, which is a single black for a sorcery. And it says it has cleave. I'll read you the the non-cleave first. It says target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it with mana value two or less. That player discards that card. So it is Inquisition of Kozilek, but for two CMC instead of three CMC. And then the cleave cost is two generic and a black, and you can just have them discard any non-land card if you pay the cleave cost. So this card gave me pause, just because I feel like the mana curve of Modern is going down so much that I'm like, could we get away with playing this card instead of Inquisition of Kozilek? And then occasionally, when you top deck it later in the game, you're less mad about, about top decking Inquisition of Kozilek because you probably have some extra mana and can Thoughtseize someone. And in case that's not going to happen, because I think it's really unlikely to happen, maybe this is just a card that completes the eight single mana discard package in Pioneer because Pioneer does not have access to Inquisition of Kozilek. Discuss. Yes. Yes.
0: I don't think this is a modern card. I think it... I mean, I just co-signed what you said. Like, maybe this gets turned Pioneer. in like that red-black Arcanist deck that's still kicking around.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Target player reveals her hand. Choose a non-line card from it. I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, that seems fine. That's pretty good. Yeah, why not? I think like people... I mean, we've seen things like uh, various discard variants get played... In sideboards where they make sense, and I think that this is a perfectly viable one. Yeah. So and I think, like you said, it's 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 that's that kind of scenario where like it's maybe like a it's like a Pioneer sideboard card, uh, and it has play against certain decks, and at some point in time, it makes sense in the meta to
2: be in your sideboard. Do you think this is even sideboard? I think I think that this card it could, could be just be main. It could be, could main. be like a four-three yeah. situation in Pioneer or something like that.
1: Yeah, it really depends on how compressed the. The average mana value is right. Where it's like, am I seeing a ton of low CMC decks, and is is it becoming more efficient? Then, as the more efficient this the, the format is, the better this card is. All right, Shane, you got another one. Um, I, I think there's some interesting. There's cool cards like Change of Fortune. It's um four mana. So it's two, it's three and a red for a sorcery is a rare. You discard, it's got cool art. So those are the cool things about it. It's you discard your hand then draw a card for each card you've discarded this turn. So you see the issue of this card, which is you have to have cards in hand to discard. And then then you draw into new cards. So it's a wheel effect. It's, you know, it's a wheel of fortune type effect. But unfortunately, it doesn't just draw you a fresh hand. uh, You have to have cards. So I don't this. I mean, these are the kind of things that can do stuff. You know, they can do things, right? Like, but I don't know about at that CMC. Uh, it's probably
2: more of an EDH style card. Yeah. But you know, who knows? Yeah, I think this card's pretty impossible to make good in formats we care about. But did you see
1: anything, Stan? I know that you were also interested in this card. Do you see anything that you were just like, I th- I see an option here, or is it kind of like it does something novel, so it might be an option?
0: I love the art on this
1: card. That's the important thing. The art's very cool. It's very comic-y.
0: Yeah, I mean, this but, is yeah. either a combo card or nothing at all, right? I don't think this is
1: a value card. Mm-mm.
0: But but maybe but maybe you can like find new ways to combo off with like a hollow one type card, or you know maybe something else with uh, using this as a graveyard enabler. But I think this is the kind of card that you play this because it's four mana. It has to do something or enable something really big that turn or the next turn.
1: Yeah. Like what if you did nothing till turn four, then you cast this and a bunch of cool stuff happened, but <laughs> that's living but, the dream. But that's kind of what it has to do. Right. Dave, did you also, I think you have, you have a cool combo enabling type card picked out. Oh, uh, it's a frog. It's a frog, Dave. Oh, the frog <laughs> croak croak counters. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know. I, I
2: saw this card. So this is Grawlnock the omnivore for two generic, a green and a blue. It's a legendary frog. It's a three, three. And it says, whenever a frog you control attacks, mill three cards. Whenever a permanent card is put into your graveyard from play, exile it with a croak counter. <laughs> Rivet. You may play lands and cast spells from among cards you own in exile with croak counters. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know what this card is. I wrote it down last night. And I was like, this card is cool, I guess, but I I don't think this is a thing. I just want to be like, um, can we use the purple dice representing croak counters? <laughs> I mean, put it with your uh, put it with your Gitrog monster and go to town with your Saltai Gitrog deck that you could play in uh, Pioneer, oh, yeah. I guess. Croak counters. That's one of my favorite. You probably croak if you play this card. That's
1: all. Probably. That's all I have to say. We got Demonic Bargain, two and a black sorcery, where you exile 13 off the top of your library, then you search the rest of your library for a card and put it into your hand.
2: Yeah, I just think that that's three is still too expensive for a tutor. Like it's just it's too pricey. Like demonic tutor and vampiric tutor are good because they're one and two mana. Like three is just too much. It's weird that mana efficiency makes them good. It's just a. This is where we went know. wrong with other worldly gays. Where I was like, ah, it's not good enough at two mana. So why would it be good enough at one mana? Duh. <laughs> Davis is this is that uh that artifact. I'm never gonna let it go. Oh. All right. Well, look. I think we're gonna come back for some spoilers later. Why don't we uh I sure why, hope why so. don't we shuffle on out of here? We have a wedding to attend. It's almost it's almost midnight. It's time for the midnight wedding where I fall asleep, I guess. We're not gonna talk about such other highlights as Soren the Mirthless, <laughs> We'll Involved Oddity, Overcharged Amalgam. We'll look at these next cool, week. Cool Cool Mountains. That's actually a really cool. Mountain Alchemist Gambit. Don't even want to talk about that card ever because I think it's probably gonna break standards, so we're gonna hear about it for the next two years again. Really? But mm. well, I don't know. It's just another Take an extra turn card. Oh, cool. Stan, what, what do you think? Here's what I'll say.
0: You know, we we're a little, we feel a little sleepy about this set, and ah, uh, maybe that's a good thing.
1: It, oh my gosh. You know, yes, maybe maybe fine. we
0: don't need a ton of new modern technology. I think a lot of our listeners will agree that no one is in the mood for a modern rotation right now.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't need like another tw- like thirty dollar mythic that I have to buy for, to keep my decks up to date. Honestly. So totally. how much is Chandra just to kill ordering for? I think is she mythic? Yeah, she is, isn't She's she? She's a planeswalker mythic and not in War of the Spark. Right. And price of perils are rare, so when we know that'll be cheap. Yep. I've, yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be killing me playing hammer. I just know it. I'm going to be like, "Stan, why'd you tell them?" That's right. But if
0: if we find powerful cards next week or or once we have the full spoiler, all the better, but I don't think we're necessarily disappointed in the power level of the set so far. And I think maybe even on some level we're kind of hoping that this is primarily standard historic pioneer level stuff because modern's awesome right now and we just got a huge influx of technology it's made the format maybe the most expensive it's ever been do we need more churn i take your silence as a resounding no and that wraps up this week's episode not with a whimper but with a silent no if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review if you'd like to submit a question to our show, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com, or you can submit an audio question that may appear on a future episode of the dive down over at podinbox.com slash the dive down. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. Support us at any tier to get into the Discord or at higher tiers to get some swag. Also, shout out to Manotraders.com for sponsoring The Dive Down. If you sign up for Manotraders using promo code TheDiveDown2021, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands, Nowhere, and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and dry clean your tuxedo. So I am feeling myself.